It's time for Drummer Nation. Rock and Roll Hall of Famer and pioneering jazz rock drummer, Danny Serafin is a founding member of the legendary band Chicago. In 2016, Danny and the band were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Critically acclaimed as an instrumentalist and a composer, Danny Serafin is considered a founding father of jazz rock drumming and was ranked by Rolling Stone magazine as one of the top 100 drummers of all time. My interview with Danny Serafin, next on Drummer Nation. Our latest innovation has opened the door for all drummers to have the same access as top musicians in the world. Custom Cymbals. Now available to everyone. Your next sound just got more interesting. Sabian Custom Shop. Danny Serafin, holy smokes, am I delighted to talk to you. Thank you for doing my show. Thank nice you. to meet you. Thanks. You, you too, Michael. It's great to be with you. Uh, hanging with you. Finally made it. Sorry about the last a couple of attempts, but we we get it. We get we're gonna get it done today. Yeah, well, I'm I'm delighted, man. I've been a fan of yours for so long. I heard you in, I don't know, '71 or two at um, um, Georgia Tech at the Coliseum oh. there or something. It's just a road, a while ago. just a road gig to you oh. a while ago. But I mean, I know all your recordings, and I've been keeping up with you forever. And it sure is an honor to meet you and have you on the Thank show. You. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I don't like to do a lot of early, early stuff, but let's talk about your early years. Uh, I, how'd you get started playing drums? You know, I um, I saw my uncle play at a couple of family functions, and I said to my mom, I want to do that. I want to be a drummer like Uncle Dominic. And uh, sure enough, I did. <laughs> I uh, That started me and inspired me, and then, then I saw the, you know, I, I saw the Gene Krupa story, uh, you know, and the Gene Krupa soundtrack. I used to play, I kind of learned to play to that. And, and ironically, I, I, some of those, those licks absolutely stuck with me and uh, still do them. <laughs> so um, I started at, I was pretty young. I started at nine and I was a natural. And I had so much uh, energy. I was... Yeah, I was I was like unleashed fury, you know. Uh, so drums were the perfect instrument for me. But your rhythm, time, concept, and all came from jazz players, right? In the beginning, yeah, yeah. Just uh, like I said, Gene was my first drum hero, and then of course uh, I started taking lessons, and that's why you know I was so I'm such a traditional grip guy. And then Ringo came along, and I, I saw, you know, started playing match like him. So therefore, I've mastered. I have both grips. I've mastered both grips. So, um, yeah, there's a there's there's a big, there's a very deep old school swing ingrained in my rock playing and my, my jazz playing. Well, that's what was yeah. great about it, if you ask me. I mean, that's why. You, you are such an influential drummer because you were among the first generation of those guys to really accurately employ both of those those disparate elements. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I was really striving to do that. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't by accident. But, you know, because once I started studying with Bob Tillis um, when I was sixteen, 
17, 16, 17, I, I was really trying to mix jazz and rock. That, find ways. I was really trying. Yeah, I was really trying to find ways to integrate all this great shit that I was learning from him into what I was doing with Chicago, which at that time was called the big thing. So, well, that, that's an important point to me because you know you talk to people on the bands. Say, did you guys ever talk about the concept like Marty Morell with Bill Evans? No, never mentioned it. It was just understood. But but when you guys were starting Chicago, it was thoughtful that you were trying to incorporate these elements right well it was more action driven than it was thoughtful on my part and i'm sure it was thoughtful on james pankoff's part robert lamb too the writers um but it was but it was also just kind of happening you know it was kind of coming out in the you know uh, i'd learned these new riffs concepts and at a rehearsal you know i'd you know, it, it doesn't always come out that easily. You know, when you learn something new, especially something complicated, and you're trying to drop it into a rock song or you're trying to drop it into a rock beat. You know, and I got so good at it that all of a sudden I could just switch gears seamlessly, you know. But, you know, I just, it just happened that it was like an evolutionary kind of metamorphosis with the band, you know, that was happening within the band. You know, Jimmy was writing these horn charts and, and Robert was writing these songs with incredible time changes and Terry too, you know? So it was really, we were pushing the envelope, you know, we were pushing the envelope for sure. And, and everybody was, was along for the ride, you know, uh, jump on, jump on the train, you know, is what it was like, you know? Now, was your role, and, did you think of it as improvisational or uh, were you looking to play the same part more or less? Nightly improvisation, improvisation. Yeah, see, that's Something, what I love you know, about listen, it. there were there were sections that were the same for sure, structurally, but it, <laughs> but it was it was very seldom ever played the same. But yeah. you know, as you played it more and more and more and more and successfully, you kind of had to play it the same. But there was a lot of improvisation. That's why you know what was never and nothing was ever done with a click. You know, mm -hmm. it was always you know. Um, it was always free form in a sense, and you know, there was, you know, you can hear it. Some of it's pretty damn loose, and some of it, it's amazing how some of it is so tight. Well, I want to get to that. I want to get to that in a minute. But you know, in the swing era, there were improvisational solos that people have documented from from radio checks that were pretty much the same every night, but they morphed into something that became part of the performance. Always, though, with the element of improvisation involved. And I think when you were doing that, it was well before this music sort of, in my mind, kind of devolved into parts and conformity and um, repetition. I guess yeah. that's not a question, it's more just... of an observation. Yeah. yeah. I agree, you know, definitely. I mean, um, you know... Uh... There was a conscious effort in the band around the fifth album where the songwriters decided to start writing shorter songs because it was, they couldn't get on the radio with longer songs and they were tired of their songs being chopped up. And whether it was good for the band or bad for the band, some people would say it was bad for the band, other people would say it was good. It had its price, 
it got us it got it became a lot more successful but i think uh we also probably lost a lot a, a large segment of our audience but gained an even larger segment so it's I mean, I think I look at it as part of the evolution of the band, and I don't necessarily look at uh, the 80s as devolving. I mean, uh, because it was, you know, you, once you get in that cycle of needing hits and wanting hits and having to have hits to, cre- to keep a certain level of success, mm-hmm. You know, you fall into a a rat race, so to speak. And but there was a lot of great songs in the '80s. They're great songs. I mean, you can, as a jazz guy, you can say the inspiration. Well, it wasn't Danny Serapin's best. Well, it wasn't. You know, I didn't even plan maybe the inspiration, but hard to say. I'm sorry. Hard to have at the break. You know, um, you know. But I'm I'm still proud of that work because of the fact that those songs will like the early stuff, are timeless as well, but in a different way, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let, Peter's turn. Let me, clarify, Peter's... let me clarify for a second. I didn't mean your playing or the band devolving yeah. so much as yeah. the concept of that mixing and matching and, and going for it and improvisation over the course of a decade or so across the genre sort of changing. Oh, no, no. I, yeah, but there is, it is, some people look at it as devolving. A lot of people don't like that era. A lot of the original Chicago fans don't like the 80s era. Mm. And there's a lot of 80s Chicago fans that don't barely know the early stuff. You know, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, but it was an amazing thing what the band did that we were able to pull that off, you know, with David, you know, with the help of David Foster. And then, of course, him and Peter were an amazing team. And then Bill Champ, bringing Bill Champlin in and bringing another whole element and Jason Chef. Uh, it all it all added to this pretty incredible stew. But you know, it was it's it's been a, an amazing ride. It was an amazing ride at first. I'm just no longer I'm no longer a part of it, and haven't been for so long. And I've almost forgotten what it <laughs> what it's been like. It's been since 1990. So let's do the math. It's a long time. Right. So almost 30. Is it? I don't know. Is it 30 a, years? A long time. But I, I like the band years. all the way through. You know, I'm not yeah, not drawing yeah, no, lines in there. No, no, I'm not saying that. I, I'm not the. Um, I'm not getting defensive in any way, shape, or form, because I understand what you, what you meant by the, the business devolved, and it is really devolved now. I mean, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting old or something. I do not like what I hear, you know, and I know that there's so much better out there. You know, the, these artists are truly talented artists, and they're like so they're so hamstrung with with the rigid, you know, uh, with the rigid uh, playlists and I feel sorry for them, you know, because we we were lucky. We we had the we were able to create music that has stood the test of time, but we had the freedom to do that. These people don't have the. I don't know if some. I don't know if these tunes are going to. A lot of these tunes are going to stand the test of time. I, I mean, maybe they will, I guess, but I'm, I don't hear anything memorable, and they sound so much alike. Their melodies and the 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 the, the production treatment is so similar. Uh, turns me off. You well, know? A, a couple and, of responses. I'm, I'm sorry, that's a delay we were talking about. A couple of responses to that. I I, I was interviewing Zigaboo uh, at a NAM show, and we were way up in a tall building, and he was talking about those early creative days, and we hear this pulse coming from downstairs, 20 floors, 
and he says and now it's this <laughs> you know and he was going yeah. to he was re referring to the same thing you were that it was so hamstrung and predictable that the drummers don't have a lot of room in there you know it was ultimate in funk and feeling you know oh yeah such an amazing feeling yeah you know anybody when you invent inventor of a style or pioneer of a style you know ultimate respect I listen to those old Chicago records and I hear the Buddy and the Louie and the Phils that were, you know, 16th note triplets and Around the Kit and Improvisational and Space. And I also hear, you know, in the later stuff like a, a Beatles track, a Keltner kind of track, you know, just taking care yeah. of, the, of the job. Did you approach things? Was that discussed or you just sort of felt that the evolution was taking place? Well, I like to see, think of myself as a really musical drummer. And, 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 and Bob Phillips turned me into a, but a, a good musician. So I'd like to think that I'm a really good musician. And being a good musician means you have to do what's right for the song as a drummer. And as any player, you know. And so all the players that I play with, you know, they're tasteful players. And, you know, baby, what a big surprise. I, I It was very, very... Uh, Beatlesque, but but also beyond Beatlesque. I mean, I I did things beyond Ringo, way beyond Ringo. You know, mm -hmm. I don't mean that as a as a cut to Ringo because he was he was very groundbreaking in his way, own way. But it, but it was very simple, you know. And the stuff I did was also simple. But in between that simple, I would weave complicated patterns in there. You know, that's uh, what I was getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was but I but the the feel of the song and and doing what was right for the song was was paramount. You know, and and. And I'm proud of that. And like those that, you know, Harry Truman and, uh, you know, if you leave me now, just really great, simple drum parts, you know, which mm -hmm. is what the song called for. That's all. Right. So, Let's talk know. about the time field that changed in music during that period beyond the scope of the band Chicago. I know you're friends with Steve Smith. He was <laughs> uh, makes no bones about the fact that he was playing in Journey when it was one way. And then the sequencers came on board and everything had to be perfect. And now we have a generation of kids that have just come up with everything needing to be perfect. You mentioned the time feel before. Like sometimes it could be loosey-goosey, sometimes... What do you think about that? There was a definite change in that, don't you think? Yeah, I hate perfect. I'm tired of perfect. I'm tired mm -hmm. of perfect. It sanitizes everything. Um, again, I feel sorry for the... Believe me. The artists of today, the drummers, the guitarists, keyboardists, singers, they all would, would love to be doing what we did and be able to have the freedom to do what we did. And I hope someday they do, because until they do, it's going to be hard for them to create timeless, you know, music, you know. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I mean, there's a place for perfect, there's a place for sequencers, there's a place for drum machines, there's a place for click tracks. And I'm, I would never doubt that. And I think a click track, clicks are great practice tools. And, 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 you know, some people swear by them. But I think, you know, like, uh, I think Chicago plays with tracks now. I, I think they do. I think and So therefore, the drummer has to play to a click on every song. And I thought to myself, God, I would hate that. I would absolutely hate that. You know, and, and, and because, because it, it limits, it's like it, it's the same every night. And... There's no, there's no way there can be any spontaneity. There just can't be, you know? So, and that's true. So many, so many bands now are playing with tracks, you know? 
Well, I've and, interviewed, and, and I, I, I hate that. I hate it. I've I, mean, interviewed, I absolutely hate it. I've interviewed so many drummers who are involved in that world, and the thing is, they point out the whole concert is on a grid. It's not just the fact yeah. that there's a track, so something doesn't speed up or slow down. The lights yeah. are tied into it. The video's tied into it. The set movements are tied into it. The whole, and and consequently, a concert may differ by forty-five seconds from one night to the next. That's that's no, not guess, that's not why me, we picked me, up I, sticks. I, I, no, I, I think it's uh, kind of. Uh, on a par with the steroid era in baseball, you know, mm -hmm. once somebody, once some of these bands started doing it and say they were on the same bill, uh, say Chicago was playing with Earth, Wind and Fire, Earth, Wind and Fire was on track for a long time ago from what I hear. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's a different kind of music. So it's almost, you know, it's, it's, but the thing is they would sound so good. It's so big because their vocals were melted, were doubled and the horns were doubled and tripled and, you know, and they could move around and dance around as much as possible without even even if they didn't play. But they played, you know, for the most part. And, you know, say the Chicago next to them would sound thin and weak and you know, even though they're trying to play the real so, you know, it's almost like I guess it's a fact of life, but it's one I don't oh man, I don't dig it. I don't dig it at all. I think it's I, I you know, I know a lot of people feel the same way. No one really it's like the, it's like a, almost like a dirty little secret that nobody really talks about. In my opinion, I haven't, I haven't heard a lot of bands talking about it. It's, I just don't like it. I'm sorry. I don't think it's right. I think it's live music is supposed to be live music and that ain't live music. So, you know, it's, you know, we, we crucified Millie Vanilli in uh, whatever year that was for, and that, to the point where the singer what committed suicide. You know? Well, and that now, was a little uh, different in that that wasn't the, even them on the recording. Yeah, but I, I know, but, but it's, it's, you know, it's one step removed from mm -hmm. from total lip syncing, mm -hmm. right? Right. It's so one step removed from total lip syncing. So, I just think it's wrong, and I think the audience. The bad part is the audience doesn't do shit. You know, you know, doesn't even know. They hardly know that the that these ask, bands are playing with tracks. Uh, you broke up there. Can I ask you to say that again from uh, that last little half a paragraph? I mean, the audience doesn't even know. You know that they're playing the tracks half the time. They think, oh, this sounds great. My God, it sounds great. Yeah, it sounds great. They're playing with doubled brass and doubled background vocals and, you know, uh, doubled this and doubled that. And, and, and I get it. That's how they make the records. But maybe maybe I'm old-fashioned and out of, and, 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 and should retire. But I like playing it live. I don't want to play with a click on every song. It feels It's like having a stick up your ass. And sorry, I don't like it, you know? I'm and, with and you, I'm, brother. You know, but yeah, if I had to do it, I could do it. You know, if right. I had a song or two, but to do it across the whole evening, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I think it's wrong. And I think it's, but you know, there's a lot of people that disagree with me, and 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 a lot of people are really successful doing it, and um, so. Well, that's why we all have. Money than that, that's why we all have different record collections. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Now, another thing you're probably not going to be too happy about is uh, uh, triggers. You know, I mean, I, I've talked to guys who go out and there's a snare drum trigger and a bass drum trigger, and the producer gives you the sound. They don't even choose their bass drum and snare drum sound. Um, same, same kind of. That's not as bad as track. That's not as bad as track. Mm -hmm. Triggers can be pretty cool. You know, for a rock song or if you're trying to do a big ballad. I was using triggers a long, long, long time ago. Now, 
I imagine they've come a long way and are even more accurate. But I was at the end of my tenure with Chicago, I was so techno, I was so far ahead of technology. I had a, I had a thing called the human clock I was hooked to. And I could, I could play these, these sequencers followed my time, provided mm. I stayed within a, a grid, a, a threshold, a grid threshold. Mm. And, and, and you can hear, there's some solos online where you can hear that I'm playing with program percussion. Yeah. But triggers, you know, yeah, I mean, I like just straight, beautiful drums. <laughs> but I, but, but, you know, but that big snare drum sound and hard to say, I'm sorry. To, the only way you could re- really reproduce it was with the trigger, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the bass drum, and it was huge. And those triggers kicked in. Now let me talk about. I'm not as down on triggers. I'm not as down on triggers as I am on, on tracks. So okay, uh, fair enough. Let me ask you about. You said huge bass drum. You play now with two 18s, right? No, not anymore. That was just for a period of time. Oh, okay. Now I'm just. Now I'm just on a 24. Or a 22 with double pedal. I love double pedal, you know. Right. Um, no, I, I did it for a while. It was pretty cool. Two 18s was like two cannons. Man, it was great. Um, yeah, because you can't, a double pedal on an 18 is a little bit tough. I don't, you know, I don't believe it works very well. But on a 22 or 24 or 26, you know, had, you know, a double pedal works really fine. So I prefer double pedal, one bass drum. Right. Um a lot of pop music today, there isn't, there isn't drums in it. You know, there aren't any drums, real drums in the whole, the whole song. I, I was listening to top forty records for the last few years, of the last few years, and I had a hard time finding anything with real guitar or real drums. Yeah, we're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you track by track about some of these songs that you were well known for. Um, okay. And what elements of of jazz and rock and time feel you might have been thinking of? Um, only the beginning or beginnings, I think, is the name of the song. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was watching a live track from you in 1970. You've got some double time versus halftime stuff in there. It's not uncommon to have some fast hand stuff with some backbeat things. What do you think about when you think about that's your part in that song? Well. I think melody and melodic, but when we were recording it, the, our producer James William Garcia was in the booth because it was one of the first drum mic setups where there was actually true stereo, right? Mm-hmm. And he's in the booth going, "Cause oh. I'm playing and I'm going, okay." I mean, if you listen, I'm filling, I'm filling wall to wall, you know. And some people would think it's overplaying, but it seemed to work, you know. Um, it's more, it's like Latin. Um, I'm just throwing the kitchen sink at it, trying to keep it in time and try to try not to step on too much. So I don't know if I, I, I think I probably stepped on some things, but there's a magic to the, to the record, especially. And, you know, love the live stuff. Um, you know, more, it's kind of Latin, you know, mm-hmm. uh, rock, um, tasteful bring comes down in, in, in dynamics, you know, uh, in that, that's a beautiful song. You know, it's one of my, one of my, favorite drum parts yeah i mean I'm rec- of, of all drum live, you know live it's good but and you know live is i just try to make it exciting build 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 mm-hmm. so you know sometimes i built it too much so it's, it's like build, it was you know it's just the but the record is a really a great drum part one that i'm proud of good i agree does anybody really know what time it is there's an interesting beat there yeah that's kind of like 
I remember swing. It's definitely got a serious element of swing, and it's got a serious element of uh, Ringo. I get high with a little help of my friends, mm-hmm. you know. But, but like a, so, a combination of Buddy and Ringo, I think, you know, and you know, and myself. I mean, because it was me that was meshing those parts together, you know. Right. right. You know, like, the, you know, the the verses was very, very. I really tried to keep it more rock, you know. And then, you know, as, and then swing as we got into the courses, it swung more. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of swing, you have Saturday in the Park, which uh, goes to a shuffle in the middle of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that was Saturday in the Park. Was, yeah, yeah. Rarely done in pop music. I mean, that was a hit song. We got a lot. Of, we got away with so much. Like, make me smile when you think about it, that being those licks being in a hit song. Of course, you're probably going to get to it. So I apologize. I probably jumped. Ship no, no, first. go ahead. Saturday in the park. No, Saturday in the park is like my tribute to Dino Donnelly because really? uh, in the early Rascal stuff, I really loved Dino. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 It was really my tribute to Dino Donnelly. How so? By attitude, you know, um, just I remember seeing the the Rascals uh, as I was a young, a young man, young kid, and listening to him. He was playing traditional in those days and uh, doing really some doing some Gene Krupa esque stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't I, I, because they were they, they were influential on us at that time. Um, twenty five or six to four. Twenty five or six to four is two drum kids. One, one, the first pass was just straight time, and then the second pass was like the five-stroke road. Wait, da 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 da, take a big jing, da 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 da, take a big jing, da da da, one, two, three, four, five. Right. You know? And then I would do certain parts of it where I would double the drum part, the other drum part, and then I, sometimes I would hear a crash there, and I would answer the crash. And if you listen to headphones, you can hear that it's two drum parts. The backstory to that is the band. I came up with the idea I wanted to do two separate drum parts, and our producer, James William Gershill, loved the idea. He thought, well, that's a great idea. So the band was up, it was at the, at the, the band was, the band came in and heard me overdubbing these drums, and they, they said, what the F is he doing? And he explained, and they, they got all pissed off because I was taking up so much time doing two drum parts, so he we had to cut it off before it was completely perfected so you can hear some imperfections in it but it when they went to mix it it sounded magical you know i like the imperfections nobody ever complains about the motown stuff man where it's it's not you know it's maybe the horns were a little out of tune or some of the old new orleans stuff where maybe it swings maybe it doesn't or maybe some guys are some guys aren't you know it just it works it works right magical they, the Motown stuff, the best stuff was in the, was in Detroit, way better than anything done in L.A. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did some good things, but the, the the Detroit stuff was pure magic. I agree, and and with all of that, warts and all, you know. Yeah, they weren't yeah. perfect. They didn't do it a thousand times and put it with a. Yeah, click that's and... what I what I really respected about our producer is he he knew when to say, you know what, it's great. Mm-hmm. Like uh, searching so long, that's a rehearsal take, and really? there's mistakes in. Yeah, there's mistakes. You can hear little like hesitations, and but there's a magic in there that, and just you and me, I think, kind of the well, more of the more, it's just you and me is a little bit that way, but for sure, searching so long. 
I didn't know that. That's I give him, I give I give him a lot of respect for that. You know? Yeah, he really knew. He really knew. We always ran tape, even at our, like our first run through and saw the song. You never know what you'll get. Mic them up That's and run right. tape, right? Yep. Everybody yep. in the same room, mic them up and run tape. Yep. <laughs> Still works. Before we talk about your new band now, there are let's talk about some music in it. 25 or 6 to 4, for example, you played in 1969, but you're playing in your new band now in 2019. What would be the difference in your approach? How, how would Danny Serafin sound different on that tune today than he did then? Which song was that again? Well, you can pick any of them. I was just looking at 25 or 6 to 4, but you do several well, of them now. I, you know, now if you look at, if you go online and look at how I play it now, I kick the horns. You know, I don't know. I, how would I play it differently? I'd probably kick the horns a little more, and, and but not, you know, do some double bass drum stuff in the guitar solo. I would do it just the way I'm doing it. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change that much. But what I, I just, I just do an, an evolutionary uh, uh, version of it. I mean, it, it, I've evolved as a player, and the song has evolved. As you play it more and more, it evolves. You know. Now, some people, you know, sometimes you change it too much. I would hope I haven't, but you know, uh, some people change it too much. Well, that was so. what I was getting at was the evolution. I mean, we hear different music today. We're surrounded by different uh, stimuli stimulation. It creeps into your soul, right? I mean, how have you evolved as a drummer? Well, you know, I'm 70 years old. I'm going to be 71 in two weeks. So I would like to think that I replaced my fastball with a wicked slider, so to speak, you know, so I'm smarter. I may not have quite the speed, the chops, but I still I still do have quite a bit of chops and I think I have better time. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm a more tasteful player, you know. Good answer. And I just, yeah, and I think I, I'm swinging even harder and more mm -hmm. than I did then. I mean, when I listen to the drum parts on Chicago 2, I find it hard to think that I could play them much better. And that, that's a really, that was really First album, I was scared shitless, you know? There's some great moments. There's a lot of great moments. But the second album, I really started liking being under the microscope. And I started saying, wow, I dig this. I like the challenge. I can do this and do this. They watch. So I, I think it that on that album, Chicago 7, the same thing, Chicago 5. So it's I'm a better, I think I'm a t more tasteful player. I have better time. And I still have a lot of energy and chops. So I just I'm a better all-around drummer. That's I great. I think drummers have a tendency to get better as they get older, whereas maybe a, I don't know, I think of a trumpet as a younger man's game. Well, you know, if you take care of yourself, you have to really take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you look right. like you're in great shape. You have any kind of physical regimen you you use? I every morning I stretch. I do yoga and Pilates. Uh, I'm working out right now. I'm working out with a trainer. You know. Um, a couple times a week, and you know some weight training. Not not heavy weight training, but light weight training. So uh, I have a friend who's an actor, and she told me if you study acting, you do yoga. I mean, it's yeah. it's normal, and, and that drummers should really embrace that. It makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, it's really well. You got to strengthening your uh, yoga and Pilates while strengthening your core is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's just a good thing to do. Let's talk about your new band. Tell me about that. The California Transit Authority? Yes. Well, they're not so new. I've been with them. It's been since 2006. Right, but the people so, who know you from Chicago yeah. think of it as a new band. Right? Yeah. 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 Tell us about that band. It's, it, it was put together with, like the spirit of Terry Cass. It was really, uh, uh, you know, we have I, the, our guitarist, Mark Bonilla, to me, is one of the great guitarists in the world. He's an amazing guitarist. So he's, he's, kind of, he's like Terry. He's just so freaking He's so freaking good. He's an amazing musician. You know, uh, our keyboardist, Ed Roth, is equally, is equally good in, in his own way as a jazz player. And, um, you know, he's a, one of the ultimate taste, tasteful keyboardist, uh, organist. Um, you know, Travis Davis, who sings Terry's vocals and Lamb's, Barbara Lamb's vocals, a great bass player and, and a really fine singer. Tony Grant is just, you know, an awesome R&B singer with the Sotera range, you know? Mm-hmm. And he does he does Sotera, the Sotera stuff so well and brings a, another whole different kind of element into it. Um, that's about it. I mean, the horn, I usually get horn sections. Because of the, the economics that I'm involved, I, get, I pick up horn sections wherever, in whatever region I'm, I'm going to be in. So uh, that's, you know, that's, kind of the, the way it, and I, I I used to have a percussionist but you know sometimes the budget doesn't allow I love playing with percussionists you know Latin percussionists are a blast like on the guy on the on the modern drummer's name is Walter Rodriguez you know I've played with uh, Luis Conte before has done gigs with us and just uh, you know that brings another element a wonderful element to the band I know so, you do the tune I'm you know, a man with a percussionist yeah yeah well, but usually I do it nowadays. I do it alone, you know. But yeah. I, now I'm even doing the thing where I bust into Topsy Part Two, which is really oh, cool. really oh, there's Cause, a yeah, because Cozy was a Cozy Cole was a big influence on me. Oh, very cool. Uh, are you working a lot with the band, or do you want to work a lot nowadays? Yeah, we work a good amount. I mean, I, we probably do 35 dates a year, you know, uh, which is okay. I, we could work 70. We, uh, you know, but. but um, you know, uh, we don't work as much as I think we should, because I think that's how good the band is. So, mm-hmm. um, but now I have a thing called Danny Seraphin's Take Me Back to Chicago tour, and uh, the band gave me permission to use that as for marketing. You know. Oh, great! And that's going on now, ongoing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm using that's how they're marketing the, the CTA and me. You know, and some and you know so. You know it. it it, it's good right now. I mean, I, I would like to be working more, but I'm doing a lot of different things, too. You know, I do a lot of charity, a lot of charity. Good for you. Yeah. But you're also and being think, recognized now for your contribution. I think there was a period there where I'm sure you felt it, and now everybody's turning back and going, wow, man, Danny's for real. Danny said it great. still does. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I don't. it feels to me like Modern Drummer's forgotten me, but maybe I'm... I don't know. You know, I haven't seen anything in Modern Drummer about me in, in, in years and years. But, you know, but I, there's a lot of drummers that, like, and it's, it's a very prideful thing for me, like Greg Bissonette, uh, Todd Zuckerman, uh, mm-hmm. um, David Garibaldi, you know, 
Simon Phillips have all said that Harmony's a big influence on that. That's a great honor for me. To me, that's, you know, there's no greater compliment than to have a drummer of that caliber saying that I had a really profound influence on them. And, you know, I'm very deeply, deeply honored by that. Well, you did have that influence on so many drummers. Classic drummer hasn't forgotten you. I see you're in the Hall of Fame there. No, 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 no. And and, no, and no. Uh, congratulations no. on your induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, thank you. How did that, that feel? Was that, was, that was cool. That's a great, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, people put it down, but, man, when you know, once you get inducted into it, it's a great, it's a, it's a great club to be a part of, you know? And the honor is really, you know... Uh, it's it's a great honor. It's a great honor. I mean, did you think when you were a kid and starting to go the wrong direction in life and you got involved with music that someday you'd be interviewed with, uh, you know, as a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, I had no idea. I didn't No, I didn't think so. So I've been, I've been blessed and I'm very, very, very fortunate. Well, where can people find out about you? What's your website? Um, DannySerman.com or www.ctatheband.com or my I have a uh, a fan page on Facebook, you know. So there's a lot there's a lot to be you know a lot up there. So those are the main places. Do you post to your Facebook page? I do not probably not as much as I should, but I do. But, I just did a really political thing, and I got boy I got a lot of flack, you know. But we won't get into that. That's all right. I think that's okay. I don't mind people speaking their mind on anything, and yeah. you've certainly earned the right to. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people say, well, you're a drummer, don't, you know, you, you, what do you know about gun laws and stuff like that? And I'm, you know, so. What does anybody know, right? It, yeah, well, we, I know one thing, we can do a lot better, and we should do better. And it's what's going on is, uh, what's going on is shameful. Absolutely shameful. We should be ashamed of ourselves that it's gotten to this, and that uh, our president and our all of those politicians have not done anything, you know, so I'm, I'm pretty angry about that. As a man that's been around since, uh, I was born in 1948, we can do better, you know, all of us. I agree you completely. Know? I'm 55, yeah. I was born, I'm not, I'm a little behind yeah. you, but we're seeing the world change so dramatically and it's so dangerous. And um, speak out, continue to speak out, I encourage you. Yeah, I intend to. All right, well, anything else you want to, tag on to this anything you want to talk about no i think it's great yeah. i mean i really appreciate the great interview and and, and uh and and you know getting to know you and where you where are you looking i'm in atlanta and i wish we could do these face to face because there are glitches in yeah. skype and or whatever we're using that day but you know nobody ever seems to complain about the technical problems because we get good interviews from from great artists like i bet you, you do i bet you do yeah it looks it seems to be pretty seamless to me so. okay well thank you danny um, I have seen your 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 uh, current band before, and I've seen you with Chicago years ago. But I hope to see you again very soon. You have a PASIC appearance or anything like that coming up? No, you know what? They've never asked me to, to appear at their at their. Really? They, yeah, I know. It's, it's, I'm gonna race a little bit of hell yeah. about that. Yeah, well, I think you might have to. That's with all my influence, though, I wouldn't count on much. But uh, <laughs> I know so many people, like you just mentioned earlier, that. You see Todd and Greg and those guys, and they I'm sure they would love to have you there. Well, maybe. You know, maybe. I All don't right. know. Have, you would never know. All <laughs> right. Well, you're living in L.A. now? No. I lived, I, I, well, I was, and I just moved to Las Vegas. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So um, are you working locally at all there? 
I'm trying to. I'm trying to put something together. So hopefully, fingers crossed, I think, working on something. Okay. So, well, thank you so way, much. It's a good place to base. It's easy to get in and out of. Mm -hmm. and, you know. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It's been my honor to interview you, Danny. And I'm, I re oh, remain a fan forever, much. and I appreciate everything you've I done. I look forward to meeting you face-to-face. -face. Same here, And brother. I'm sure we will. Uh, yeah. Same here. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.